Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. This show will begin shortly after these messages from our advertisers. Advertising is what keeps the show alive. Your support means they'll continue to advertise and the podcast will continue to be free. This statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you in bad pain? You know what I mean. Your knees hurt, your shoulder hurts, and your back. Oh my God, your back. They're constantly killing you. And I'm sure you've tried every pain pill or cream available at the drugstore. Am I right? Well, here is something you haven't tried. Pain Absolve. Pain Absolve is not available in any drugstore. The only way to get it is by calling today. We're so confident that it will work for you that we offer a free bottle with your purchase. No prescription needed. And best of all, each purchase comes with a money-back guarantee. Call now to find out how you can get Pain Absolve and get rid of your pain. Call 800-261-0783. That's 800-261-0783. 800-261-0783. Call today. 800-261-0783. Are you lacking a little something between paranormal and abnormal? You need the Into the Parabnormal store. Now open at parabnormalradio.com. From hoodies to shirts, accessories, and our digital music library, it's all available in the Into the Parabnormal store. Your purchase directly helps support the show. Thanks for buying from the Into the Parabnormal store at parabnormalradio.com. From ASE-certified expert technicians to new smart services that keep you connected, Pep Boys Auto Service and Tire Centers keep your ride humming. Open seven days a week. Pep Boys, we go further to help you go farther. Five, four, three, two, Baby 
when the lights go down and the clock ticks close to the witching hour, somewhere between abnormal and paranormal, enter at your own risk into the paranormal. Even when we've been cramped inside our homes following uh, abiding by stay-at-home orders because of COVID-19, there have still been reports of UFOs buzzing around overhead. And I know many people saw some lights and some strange formations actually over several states, uh, not only last night, but also the night before. And I've got an explanation of what that actually was before the end of the program tonight. I know Oregon, Washington, Idaho, perhaps some other states experienced these basically a line or a stream of lights. And so we'll talk about that later on in the program. You know, we've kind of been off the UFO topic uh, for a little while now because, of course, there have been other fish to fry. There's apparently another video that we know has been confirmed to exist. That is no longer a secret. The video does exist, but it's just not going to be uh, released. The officials have already come out and said that. That was, I believe, back in February, uh, right when this whole COVID-19 situation took off. There's been sightings all over the place. Our program tonight, UFO Case Files, will be right back. Ken Pfeiffer will be on the way after this. If you're listening on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, thank you for putting us on the list of most popular shows. Download the app at TalkStreamLive.com and listen to Into the Paranormal 24-7. So are you tired of being tired? Well, then it's time to get the tea. Hey, it's Lisa here to tell you about this all-natural, all-organic tea I've been drinking that has had great results for over 20 years. It's called Life Change Tea, and it's specially formulated to help detoxify and cleanse your kidneys, liver, colon, and blood all at once. The colon is one of the most ignored organs in the human body. The faster that waste is eliminated from the body, the less time that waste sits in our intestines, spreading toxins to our bloodstream. This tea helps cleanse chemicals caused by outside intruders from our entire digestive system. And get this, weight loss can be a side effect. And with continued use of the tea, you can experience clear, healthier, younger-looking skin, increased energy, and a happier outlook on life. So if you're tired of being tired, get the Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. And like me, you'll be glad you did. Freaks come out at night on Into the Paranormal, where vampires are highly encouraged. UFO Case Files, our program tonight. We welcome back after an 11-month absence, just because I didn't book him. (laughs) 
I can't believe I looked back uh, because we, you know, we like to look back at the previous shows and tie them together uh, if we can in any way. And obviously, we have them all tagged. So if you're at paranormalradio.com and you click on Ken Pfeiffer's name, it will actually down at the bottom. If you click on it up at the top, it'll take you to his website. But down at the bottom, you'll see some tags there. If you click on Ken Pfeiffer's name, it will take you to all of the shows that we've ever done. Uh, and so in doing that, I looked back and I said it was May of last year that we last had Ken on the air. And so much has happened, uh, UFOs and otherwise. So I'm, I'm glad to have Ken back after such a long absence. Uh, Ken is a uh, UFO investigator, a state director of the Mutual UFO Network in Vermont in Rhode Island. He's chief investigator of the New Jersey chapter and international director of more than a half dozen countries. He has investigated over 1,100 UFO files, uh, UFO cases, that is. All of tonight's reports are on worldufophotosandnews.org, where Ken has assembled more than 2,800 case files. We will be linking to each one of these cases directly on my website before the end of the evening. Uh, worldufophotos.org is his other website, and that has about 12,000 of some of the best UFO photos in the world. Now, Ken has experienced uh, seven UFO sightings of his own and also a close encounter at the back gates of Area 51, and he's back tonight with more UFO case files. Ken Pfeiffer, welcome back into the Parabnormal. Hey, Jeremy. Hi. It's an honor to be on your show. It's, it's, um, it's hard to believe it's been, it's been 11, 11 months. My God, so much has, has happened uh, all over, especially uh, you know with the UFO uh, world and what's going on and, and, uh, and this, this virus thing. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. I, 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 can't, I, I can't fathom it. Uh, you're staying safe out there, though, uh, right? Uh, yeah, we're in South Jersey. We're not too bad here. It's when I went to the Acme the other day at a food store, and, and uh, everybody in the store was wearing, wearing masks, so I finally put mine on. Yeah, I, it's funny. I ordered masks. I ordered uh, a lot of things, uh, I mean, hand cleaners and all. You to go on Facebook, and, and I'll tell you what, I've been burnt three or four times through PayPal on some of these items that you get off of Facebook. I mean, either they never send them, or, you know, it seems to me that a lot of these items are coming from overseas and, and you know, it takes too much to get them. And, and, you know, I've given up ordering stuff off of Facebook. It's it's a pain in the butt. Yeah, it certainly has opened up a, a whole big uh, can of worms. And certainly uh, the UFO reports have not died down during this whole pandemic. Uh, no, no, they haven't. Uh, we've been getting um, a lot of sightings. Especially when SpaceX uh, launches its satellites, um, you know, with uh, Elon Musk, I think. Uh, yeah, we get a ton of sightings, but of course, we, you know, we're writing them all off as, as, uh, as the satellite launches. But uh, that's been really the exciting thing that's been going on. But no, we've been getting still a lot of, I'm getting still a lot of photos, a lot of good cases. We have a couple of abduction cases that we just got here in New Jersey. I got my two investigators working on it. Uh, Bob Spearing, uh, he's a, a state section director for New Jersey. And uh, Glenn Green, he's the new uh, chief investigator. I've been made assistant state director for New Jersey. So, you know, we're kind of busy. And, and once I find out some more information about these abduction cases, uh, maybe next time I come on, we can talk about it. Yeah, please do, because I'm interested in all of those. They're just so fascinating every time you hear about abduction stories, about missing time, about close encounters. And, and you've had your own close encounters, Ken, as I mentioned. Uh, yeah, yeah, back at Area 51. Uh, I don't know if it was a close encounter of the strange kind, but uh, me and my wife, we uh, we got bombarded with the loudest noise, uh, a high-pitched, wavery noise that, that uh, we ever heard. Uh, you know, we were halfway 
that five miles from the back gates of Area 51. So this was uh, it, it was pretty incredible. It was a pretty um, I, I don't know what to call it. Was it a sighting, uh, a close encounter? I have no idea. But um, you know, it was. Um, I'm kind of glad we experienced this. I was with my wife, so she was. She said that was the best part of the whole trip was was, was what happened in Area 51. So I was, was kind of glad to hear that from her. Anyway, Ken, let's go to some of your UFO reports that you have up on your website, WorldUFOPhotosAndNews.org. Tell us primarily where you uh, assemble these reports. Well, I get them from all over the world. I, uh, I've been getting a, a majority of, of my reports from uh, UFO Casebook, and what I try to do is is there are literally thousands of cases out there, older cases in, in the, the 1980s and 1990s, 2000, that no one has either forgotten about or no one doesn't even know about them. You know, So I've been trying to to uh, uh, bring a lot of these cases out so so people can can see what what has happened back in 1990 1991 i have one here where uh, especially the the airlines um you know with the reported cases that from all over the world from the uh crews of the airliners and, and the military pilots and and everyone else who flies i think we, i think we've seen Maybe one percent of of all of the uh, the cases that are actually out there that pilots have seen, uh, you know, I, I would say less than one percent is is reported, and and less than one percent are are the ones that are being uh, on the web and on my website, and these are the ones that we're finding out about. But I think there's far more uh, reports uh, that have been buried, or a lot of pilots themselves have just never reported them because. You know, I think they're still afraid of of, uh, of their bosses at the airline. They're, uh, you know, possibly grounding them for whatever reasons. At least it would give them an excuse to ground them if, if they felt that they needed one. So I well, think a lot of these pilots are, are, are shying away from it. On that note, we do have some reports from pilots tonight and even from the Navy. Some close encounters and missing time UFO case files are programmed tonight with Ken Pfeiffer. I'm Jeremy Scott's. If you're listening on the Pair of Normal Radio app from TalkStream Live, thank you for putting us on the list of most popular shows. Download the app at TalkStreamLive.com and listen to Into the Pair of Normal 24-7. Listen up, guys. Are you experiencing any of the following? Fatigue? Less drive? Poor performance? If so, you may be one of the nearly 30 million men in the U.S. today dealing with ED. But did you know you don't have to pay hundreds for a prescription anymore? And you don't have to deal with the hassle of seeing the doctor or the embarrassment of going to the pharmacy for a certain pill. Now, with one free call, you can find out how Herbal Virility Max can help you feel like a man again. For over a decade, Herbal Virility Max has helped guys just like you put a smile back on their face with improved performance and drive. Call today at 800-509-4017. That's 800-509-4017. Save the money, save the hassles, and get the better blue pill. Call 800-509-4017. That's 800-509-4017. Get your free audiobook today at audibletrial.com slash paranormal. Enjoy thousands of titles on iOS, Android.
Android, Sonos, Kindle, and Alexa-enabled devices. Get a free audiobook today and a free 30-day trial membership to Audible when you go to audibletrial.com slash paranormal. Get yourself a free audiobook and help into the paranormal. audibletrial.com slash paranormal. Parabnormal News, I'm Brad Bernards. A newly discovered asteroid passed by Earth on Wednesday, April 15th, and for a brief time it was closer to us than the moon. According to the Weather Network, asteroid 2020 GH2 was first spotted on Saturday, April 11th, and has been tracked and logged by more than a half dozen different sky surveys in the days since. Estimated at around 13 to 30 meters wide, 2020 GH2 was identified as an Apollo asteroid, one that crosses Earth's path but which spends most of its journey around the sun outside of Earth's orbit. Fortunately, 2020 GH2 poses no threat to us. NASA reports that a team of transatlantic scientists using reanalyzed data from NASA's Kepler Space Telescope has discovered an Earth-sized exoplanet orbiting in its star's habitable zone, the area around a star where a rocky planet could support liquid water. Scientists discovered this planet called Kepler-1649c when looking through old observations from Kepler, which the agency retired in 2018. While previous searches with a computer algorithm misidentified it, researchers reviewing Kepler data took a second look at the signature and recognized it as a planet. It was the first object we've confirmed to have come from outside our solar system and was given the name Oumuamua, Hawaiian for scout or messenger from our distant past. According to Space.com, the mysterious object Oumuamua, which was spotted zooming through the inner solar system in October 2017, is probably a fragment of a larger body that was torn apart by gravitational forces during a close flyby of its native star, a new study suggests. Connect with the news at ParaAbnormalRadio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, ParaAbnormal News. What the hell is that? A UFO. That's what they call a UFO. He's a pulsating orb. Look at that, dude. Look at that. Major sighting here. Flight operations were temporarily suspended this afternoon after reports of a mysterious aircraft hovering above the airport. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. Oh my gosh. Those aren't planes. Changing direction. That's a huge They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. All over the world, people have been seeing giant triangles. Giant triangles. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon, somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, you're traveling into the paranormal with Jeremy Scott. We've got UFO case files tonight. Ken Pfeiffer is my guest. He's a MUFON investigator. State Director, Chief Investigator, International Director, and his website's WorldUFOPhotosAndNews.org and WorldUFOPhotos.org. And we're going to dive right into some of those case files. Uh, He mentioned Air France. He mentioned pilots. And, Ken, just to reiterate what you said before the break, you think that we're only hearing about 1% of these uh, encounters that pilots are actually having with UFOs, correct? No, yeah, I think there's it's far less than one percent. Uh, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg 
from what's being reported and what's being documented, uh, you know, there's there's thousands upon thousands of cases out there that that we know nothing about, or, or the pilots won't won't tell anyone about them. And are you concerned that the Navy is at least taking reports, but then not going to disclose? Do you think there's an obligation to disclose? Well, I'm just kind of surprised to that the Navy would even admit that uh, you know they want their pilots to uh, report sightings and document them. I just don't trust them. Uh, there's, there's something behind that. That's still not saying that these reports that the pilots were sending in to their commanders or, or whomever, you know, aren't being buried or, or, or put away or, or whatever. We'll never hear nothing about them. Uh, I, I really don't know what to make of it. It, it's, uh, it was kind of surprising, but at the, it, at the same time, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, I just don't trust the, uh, the Navy, the Air Force, or any, any of the, the military with, with uh, you know, UFO sightings and, and them being reported uh, and especially released to the public. I, I just don't think it's not going to happen. All right, January 28th, 1994, it's the uh, beginning of the afternoon. An Air France flight headed from Nice to London sees something strange. Uh, and in this case, there was an interview with the pilot and the commander. What happened here, Ken? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to read here from, from you know, what it says. I, I, I like to read what, what uh, is, is on these case files, you know, because I don't want to forget anything or, or misrepresent something. But it says here... Uh, the interview was, it says here, you, you were a flight commanding officer at Air France, and on January 28, 1994, you have encountered an unusual phenomenon as you were doing, going, going to Nice, to, from Nice to London flight 2532. Could you tell, tell what happened? Again, this is the person um, asking the question. He says, I was indeed commander of flight AF 3532 as of January, at, at January 28, 1994, with co-pilot Shafour and 24 passengers on board. He said, I have kept a copy of the octave, and, and that is, which is the data processing follow-up of the flight, and I can specify that above the Paris area at the altitude of uh, 39,000 feet, the outside temperature was, was minus uh, 59 Celsius degrees, and, and we had a wind from the northwest, uh, had a speed of uh, 80 80 uh, or 101 knots. So uh, the visibility was more than than 150 nautical miles, and the cloud cover consisted of alto cumulus. The flight engineer, the flight and the flight encounter no air shakes. Uh, the navigation was under excellent weather condition, in spite of the facing wind. Uh, this gave us a ground speed of about 350 knots. So he's very detailed in this in this uh, report there. Uh, he says it was a particularly calm flight without particular problem. We arrived above uh, Colomiers when a steward who was in the cockpit noticed an object which he thought could be a weather balloon. This object was then seen by the co-pilot and myself a few mo- moments afterwards. According to their description, it seemed to have a variable form and to come very quickly across our road. I first identified it like an aircraft facing us at approximately 25 nautical miles at an altitude of approximately 25 nautical miles at an angle of 45 degrees. I found the slope absolutely abnormal because aircraft are not inclined at this altitude above 30 degrees without risking to fall down. This object seemed to us 
then absolutely abnormal by its size, which seemed immense. Its dark red color and of and of the fuzzy edges, it had the impression to observe a gigantic lens in evolution. I did not resemble anything that we have seen in the skies in our careers. He said, this object, this phenomenon remains motionless while we left it in our left side, uh, still at an approximate distance of 45, uh, uh, well, 45 would, would translate into uh, about 25 miles. We observed it during a good minute, conscious that we were seeing something utterly abnormal. Uh, we continued to observe it when I gradually merged with the uh, environment. We saw it become translucent, transparent, diluted in space. That was absolutely amazing. After some interrogation, we contacted the control center of Rhymes to announce this unidentified object to them, as we are required by air transportation regulations. Uh, was this object tracked by your instruments? Uh, what about the black box of flight 3532? Were the communications between your aircraft and the radio control center in Rhymes recorded? These were questions asked to the pilot. and. And uh, it says here on our on our board, instruments are not intended to locate other aircraft. The airborne radar is only intended to locate storms in order to be able to avoid the air movements descending and descending associated with them, characteristics of these clouds and, and cumulonimbus. Uh, during this event, the radar was not in operation as it is only necessary in instrument flying, IFR. So he's explaining all these things to, to the uh, gentleman who's interrogating him, and he says here, in the same way, the black box cannot in any case detect aircraft or phenomenon far away from the plane. On the Airbus 320, there is a first recorder, which is the Quick Access Recorder, recorder QAR. It records only flight parameters, speed, altitude, mechanics, engines, electric, etc., it is analyzed by the maintenance service. And he said the second recorder, uh, the DFDR, has the same recordings but must support the constraints of an accident. This report is analyzed only if a crash occurs or, or on request of the crew. As no parameter of our flight had been modified, the tapes were not analyzed because it would have been pointless. They said the UFO was, was nearly uh, 25 miles uh, about from our aircraft, and there have been no electronic or magnetic disturbances. On the other hand, this UFO was approximately uh, six miles above Paris, and the Parisian people under a layer of clouds uh, were much closer to the UFO than we were. We were. If there had been electromagnetic disturbances, a few million people would have noticed it. Uh, the communication were always preserved and is the same for the main TV and radio shows, which were the continuations of this affair at our professional and personal level. Have you been interviewed by the civilian or military authorities? And his response is uh, in, in the immediate, the, the continuations were non-existent because I did not submit a written report, written report to avoid being ridiculed. So here we go with another pilot who's really afraid to uh, report these things. And he says uh, it was three years later as I read an article from Paris uh, match, which described how a UFO had been detected above Paris. Then I made the connection between this UFO and that which I had seen. I then submitted a report to the National, National French Police, 
having an SOP, standard operation procedure for collection of EOFO reports. So uh, that was his statement. And basically, you know, it, as, as you heard, he, he was afraid to report this thing. He didn't really know what to do. And uh, that's very uh, common, isn't it, Ken, that pilots do not report. As you said, that would explain why we only hear uh, 1% or so of these reports is because they will be ridiculed by their colleagues, by fellow pilots, maybe not so much by fellow pilots who have actually seen it themselves, but certainly to superiors who may not have as many flight hours, maybe on the ground, and are not taking things as seriously as you know those who are in the air. No, you're exactly right. Yeah, I think these pilots, well, this was 1994, and quite frankly, I really don't think things have changed that much. Uh, you know, in, in 2020, I think a lot of these pilots are, if, let's put it this way, if, if, if these pilots were capable or not afraid to report these things today in 2020, I, we'd be getting thousands upon thousands of, of UFO reports, So, which is telling me that these pilots are still afraid to report these things. One very telling part of that story was the account from the uh, pilot that says it was unlike or it did not resemble anything that we had seen in our flying careers. That is that is phenomenal uh, because we have people who have dedicated their careers to flying. They know what should be in the airspace and what should not be in the airspace, and yet they are encountering these objects. Exactly. I think the I think these pilots are the perfect. Uh, witnesses, you know, they're qualified. They they've been trained. They 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 know what's in the skies out there. They they you know they have good eyesight. Uh, they're documented. They're uh, you know most of them are military. I, I would think that that ninety nine percent of these pilots out there were once military pilots. So I think these are the perfect uh, witnesses for for these things in the sky. Well, and the really interesting thing is the fact that they can't be found on radar nine times out of ten. These other objects. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think, um, well, I'm sure a lot of these alien craft out there uh, have this stealth technology. I'm I'm sure they would have to, you know, if if they're a million years more advanced than we are, they they sure as heck do. And you've said alien craft many times on my program. It's nothing new. And so for me, it does go in one ear and out the other because I've heard Ken say it about 10 times. But for those who have heard Ken say that the first time, uh, they might wonder why I didn't challenge him on that. So, Ken, are these alien craft that are belonging to us, that were was technology given to us by the aliens that we are piloting, or are these extraterrestrial craft that are theirs that they are bringing into our airspace? Yeah, personally, I think the 99% of these things are, are alien uh, craft from another world. You know, I, I think only 1% or less is are, are some of our experimental craft. Or today, now now we're getting bombarded with drones. Everybody, you know, all the debunkers say, oh, it's probably a drone, you know, not knowing what the heck they're talking about. Uh, we even get a lot, get you know, a lot of these uh, with the SpaceX uh, 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 rockets uh, that they're sending in, in, in space right now, and a ton of, of reports of, of many of them in the sky. And, and a lot of these investigators are just writing these things off as SpaceX UFOs. They're not really getting in there investigating to see if this could be something else. We'll be back with Ken Pfeiffer UFO case files right after this. Stay tuned for Parabnormal News with Brad Bernard, only on Into the Parabnormal. Attention authors, stop sending ebook readers away empty-handed. With the Jump Card ID, 
sell your books directly without the need for an online retailer. The Jump Card Instant Download, exclusively from Jumpmaster Press, could be your ticket to more sales, more readers, and international distribution. Find out more about the Jump Card ID today at www.jumpmasterpress.com. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. Ken Pfeiffer with us here. UFO Case Files, I'm Jeremy Scott. We just uh, talked about that Air France encounter there in uh, Paris. And uh, Ken was making the point that, you know, a lot of people say these are just drones. A lot of people say these are just SpaceX satellites. The Starlink, which, of course, has been moving through. And they don't go a mile further to investigate. That's a shame, Ken. Yeah, I, I, it is a shame. I, there are just there are just too many investigators out there who are not going. Uh, you know, they're not doing proper investigations. Basically, they they just you know they they see a statement where the witness says that oh there was fifteen of them in a straight line flying across the, the sky and and they automatically they think it's a SpaceX and they write it off as identified flying object. Not even researching the 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 times that uh, uh, the launch dates of, of these uh, you know SpaceX uh, uh, satellites uh, it's it's uh, it's mind boggling it really is and and why they get away with it and their state directors aren't monitoring these things is, is beyond me. Ken, in that report was a talk of a weather balloon and so whether or not there was a weather balloon in this case or a weather balloon in any other case. There really are not that many weather balloons out there that could explain these, are there? No, no, not really. No, I'm I'm sure that uh, you know, and a balloon is a balloon. It's it's round and and it's floating around. It's uh, you know floating with with the wind, I guess you can say. And and it's uh, you know these, these things that you really can't compare them at all. It's it's uh, it's uh, unbelievable. Of uh, you know these people, they it seems to me that they just don't want to believe, so they. They they make something up to believe, you know. Oh, it was a weather balloon. It was a drone, you know. They, because they don't want to know the truth. We have another close encounter. This one happened uh, over the uh, United Kingdom, and this was also uh, bound for London. This happened on April twenty first of nineteen ninety one. So a couple of months later, Ken. Uh, yeah, there were quite a few from London, and and uh, well, I should say over the United Kingdom. I mean, like I said, uh, I, I picked out a few here to to uh, let you know uh, about and, and let your your listeners know about uh, like I said this is the tip of the iceberg and this is this is only a couple of a thousand uh, sightings out there or even re- there's a lot of reported sightings that uh, you know are still coming to light uh, as we as we speak so uh, you know uh, that's why I like to bring out a lot of these these older ones 
It says here on the night of 21st April 1991, the term close encounter took on a altogether more significant meaning for the crew and passengers of a London-bound airliner. At 9 p.m., Captain Agetti, who had piloted a McDonald MD-80 aircraft, was amazed to see an unidentified flying object pass his aircraft as it flew over the coast of Kent at a height of more than 22,000 feet. As the UFO was no more than 1,000 feet above the airliner, and the incident, therefore, was classified as a near miss, an official inquiry was launched by the CAA uh, approximately two weeks later, the following brief statement was issued. Now, the CAA is the Civil Aviation Authority. That's basically, that's in Britain, and, of course, the FAA would be here in the United States. So the, the pilot's statement was, that he, the pilot said the object was light brown, round, three meters long, which is about 10 feet in diameter, and did not describe any means of propulsion. The aircraft was under the control of London Air Traffic Control Center, who had no other aircraft in the vicinity, but, cons but consistent with the pilot's report, a faint radar trace was observed 10 nautical miles behind the, the aircraft. So extensive inquiries had failed to provide any indication of what the sighting may have been, but more was to come. The next incident to, to occur took place on June 1st, 1991, when a yellow-orange cylindrical object 10 feet long had was seen at close quarters by the crew of a Britannica Airways Boeing 737 en route to London from Dublin. And then 16 days after that, yet another cylindrical-shaped object, the UFO, was sighted, this time by Walter Lease, a German engineer aboard Dan Air Flight DA-4700, as it headed toward Hamburg. And then on January 6, 1995, uh, Captain Roger Wills and co-pilot Mark Stewart were beginning their descent towards Manchester Airport in a Boeing 737 twin jet with 60 passengers on board. 17 minutes before touchdown, a mysterious triangular-shaped triangular UFO flashed past the right-hand side of the aircraft at a distance described as being very close. So close, in fact, that the crew instinctively ducked in their seats. That, that's scary. This is an extract from the conversation uh, between the crew of the B-737 and the radio controller. Uh, B seven thirty seven. We had just we had just something go something go down the right hand side just above us very fast. Manchester Control says, "Well, there's nothing seen on the radar. Was it an aircraft?" Uh, B seven thirty seven said, "Well, it had lights. It went down the starboard side very quick and just slightly above us. Yeah." Uh, Manchester Control says, "Keep an eye out for something. I can't see anything yet." All at the moment, so must have been very fast or going down very quickly after it passed you, I think. Uh, and Beast 37 came back and said, well, uh, there you go. So, <laughs> so that was the end of the conversation, I guess, with the with the uh, controller and, and Beast B, uh, 737. And it seemed to be a pretty close, uh, pretty close encounter, uh, you know, with, with that craft. One of the details they talk about was uh, another encounter 16 days after the first here uh, with this cylindrical-shaped UFO. 
And we see that in many of the uh, classic UFO cases, including the Rendlesham case, which, by the way, we're going to be talking about uh, in our third hour tonight. There were two encounters uh, within 16 days. Do you find that common in your investigation that these UFOs like to stalk certain areas? I would think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's happened many times. And, and like I said, if we if we were to actually get these reports from these pilots, we would be able to put put you know a timeline. We can put two and two together and see that possibly this this object uh, was in uh, uh, New Jersey at at uh, nine p.m. and and this object again was sighted in 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 uh, San Francisco at, at, at ten p.m. You know, so if, if we can get these pilots to submit these reports and these sightings, then then we can we can put some kind of a, a uh, you know connect the dots, and and sometimes that's what we do when we're investigating UFO cases. All right, Ken, we got to go for this hour. More UFO case files, UFOs all night long here on Into the Paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. Into the Paranormal, where alien visitations make for another extraordinary Saturday night. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. You can hear Into the Paranormal on the go. Download the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStreamLive.com or install it on your mobile device from Google Play or the App Store and take the program with you 24-7 anywhere you have Internet. Low on data or out of Wi-Fi coverage? We've got you covered. Call our listen line at 701-719-9703 and don't miss out on Into the Paranormal, courtesy of TalkStream Live. Make for another extraordinary Saturday night. Yeah, I'm looking outside, seeing if I see any weird beams of light. It's not dark yet. It's only 7 o'clock out here on the West Coast. As the blinds are open and I'm looking out... Into the night sky, just hoping I see something, you know, even just give me a sign. So I'll keep looking that direction, and we got a couple more hours here tonight for me to get a sign. I'd love for that to happen while I'm on the air. Ken Pfeiffer, my guest, UFO Case Files tonight, April 21st, 1991, uh, the one that happened uh, of this London-bound uh, airliner. And then, of course, again, 16 days later, there was another sighting, and then in uh, January of 1995. Uh, so there have been some history of events uh, over in London. Near misses, though, as in this case, though, uh, those are quite rare, aren't they, Ken? Uh, well, it, it all depends on what you consider a near miss. Um, you know, they, they had to report. I believe they had to report this this uh, sighting because, you know, even the even though the the craft was uh, you know possibly half mile away, quarter mile away, I guess they would they would consider that a near miss. 
Well, uh, what I, I think would there's consider- a lot of near misses out there, uh, you know, and, and again, it, it all goes back to uh, a lot of the pilots uh, and crews, air crews. No one is reporting these things. Uh, it, it's just not being done. I would consider a near miss as like something coming at me, not necessarily something flying above me or below me or even to the left or right out on the wing. Um, because if I'm flying in a straight path, you know, something above me, below me, or to either side isn't really going to affect me if I'm flying in a straight path. But if something's coming at me, as these pilots did, as you said, kind of ducked in their seats, bracing for impact, <laughs> apparently, that's a whole new beast. Yeah, that's, that's scary. It really is. Did you watch Project Blue Book, Ken? I can't watch it. Why? I thought it's absolutely I, fascinating. I, I don't know. It's, it's, they've made it too Hollywood for me. That's uh, what it's supposed to be. It's not, it's not a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a documentary, bud. Uh, well, I, I when he first advertised this, I, I thought this was a uh, based uh, on true stories and, and things like that. Based. Uh, yeah, based, but not 100%. Yeah, not, not all. All the details, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's too Hollywood to me. I, 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 I have to turn it off. I really do. Wow. Most, most of these shows, I, I can't look at them because, you know, some of these, these guys, these so-called investigators, they... They have on these shows um, and are showing photos wow. of, of UFOs, and and you know, nine times out of ten, it, it's uh, uh, they. Quite frankly, I don't think they know what they're talking about. And you know, I don't very often disagree with you, but I'm going to disagree with you on Project Blue Book. I I highly encourage you to give it a second chance. Okay. Yeah, just, yeah, I probably will. You know, of course, I, I like hearing about you know the, the stories of Roswell's and 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 the different. Yeah, uh, high profile cases, but uh, you know they—they've just to me they've thrown—they've thrown too much Hollywood in there for me. Yeah, well, in one of those in one of those cases, yeah. uh, Quinn, who's who's the uh, the partner of of Heineck, um, and he's yeah. up in an aircraft and he literally is being dive bombed by something out there, uh, and that's it. I think in the very very first episode of season two. So I mean, it was intense. Uh, and that was a obviously a dramatized reenaction. I can only imagine how intense it was if it was was real life. Yeah, the real thing. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll give it another shot. I I think there's probably a couple of shows on that I I would I like better than than uh, than that show. So I probably watch I probably watch the, the shows that, that I like a little bit better. But uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll give it a shot. All right, Ken. <laughs> the USS Kirk there in the Pacific Ocean has had um, a history of some uh, events there as well. Uh, tell us about what happened on the evening of December 16th, uh, 1991, uh, to the crew aboard the USS Kirk. Yeah, now the USS Kirk, uh, now this was in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, the USS Kirk is a, uh, it's basically a destroyer escort. I think it's classified as a frigate, but, but uh, it's probably more of a destroyer escort. Uh, it's, it has some guns on it, that's for sure. But uh, what it says here, uh, from 1989 through 1992, I was an operation, operations and intelligence petty officer in the United States Navy. In the fall of 1991, I was stationed on the USS Kirk in Long Beach, California. From October 1991 through ni- January 1992, we were part of a drug addiction force along with three other naval vessels. Uh, during our drug addiction operations, we would sail roughly uh, 350 to 400 nautical miles off the west coast of South America. Our four ships within the task force, force would sail roughly 
150 nautical miles apart from one another in a straight line. On our radar stream, uh, we just slightly capture the land and the entire task force Forces air radar with interlink, creating a large and connected air picture ranging roughly between seven and 800 nautical miles long. Our primary mission was to track, contact, intercept, and take control of low-flying aircraft, drug carriers, of course, coming out of Colombia, Panama, and Guatemala. On occasion, we would intercept board and seize sailing vessels, which were, uh, they were also drug carriers. And similar to the movie, Clear and Present Danger, we were in direct communication with a DEA special agent on land, which would contact our ships via a secured and ciphered communication device. The actual call sign of our agent on land was Iron Manville. As an operations specialist, my primary duties took place within CIC uh, or the Combat Information Center, uh, the combat information center was the central nervous system of the entire ship. Within CIC, we would fight, navigate, and control the entire ship. CIC was manned 24 hours a day, uh, a day seven days a week. On the SS, USS Kirk, there was roughly 22 operations specialists, and we would work in two 11-man shifts. Each shift would last about 12 hours. We were called in in a port and starboard ship system. We called it a port and starboard ship system. At approximately 200 hours on December 16th, I was CIC uh, on CIC duty. There were literally nothing going on within CIC and all ships within our group were sailing as noted above. The air and surface radars were clear and the exception of our sister vessels streaming in line. As things were quiet and slow, I took the liberty of departing CIC and made my way up to the ship's bridge. During the evening, naval ships sail in a status called darkened ship. All lights on the interior of the ship are out, and the only lighting on the bridge is contained uh, dark lighting from radar scarps, uh, scopes and navigational devices at the helm. During this time of night, a junior officer would be in command of the bridge, and he was referred to as the officer of the deck. That would be OOD. Of this particular evening, the OOD was a good friend of mine, and he and I were having a discussion about a football game. All of a sudden, and out of nowhere, like a huge flash from a camera, uh, from, the, from the starboard bow sea level upwards was a huge flash of red glowing light, which lit up our entire ship. And only lit up our ship, not the surrounding ocean, just our ship. It happened so fast that the OOD, the navigator, and I were speechless for about five seconds. At that time, I looked at the OOD and asked him if he saw the light, and he stated yes in a sullen voice. I then asked the navigator, and he replied yes. I then took the navigator's sound-powered headset and asked the forward-and-aft four lookouts if they had just seen the same red flash, to which the forward lookout stated, yes, what the hell was that? Aft lookout said yes as well. I then immediately contacted CIC and asked the CIC officer if we had any aircraft or surface ships in our vicinity, to which he replied clear as a whistle. I asked if if we had any submarines activity in the area, to which he replied no. At this point, I looked at the LOD and asked him if he would wake up the captain or, or as we would call him, the old man. The LOD sat stunned for a minute as I did and everyone else. 
What had just happened did not make any sense. The flash attenuated from the sea directly off the off our starboard bow, like it was touching our bow, and it sounded upwardly so rapidly, creating the effect of a bright red flash. The other weird aspect of this event was that only our ship was lit up within the red flash, not the surrounding sea, but our vessel only. The OD elected not to wake the captain. Well, here we go again. You know, we we have these lookouts and and, he, and these these guys on the ship, and and they they see these things in the water, they see these things in the sky, and they don't report it. I mean, this this is uh, this is incredible. Uh, so basically, continuing, the OOD elected not to wake the captain, and the entire incident was logged in our ship's log as an unexplained phenomenon. Up until this event, I did not believe in UFOs or USOs. Of course, USOs is the uh, unidentified submerged objects, and I uh, didn't have any idea we were sailing up, up to them. I think whatever it was took off in a very unplanned and fast manner and wanted to quickly identify us through the flesh. I hope you find my account to be one that matters. I have debated for many years whether I should share my account of what happened that morning. I have always felt that the event was extraterrestrial in nature. nature. So this was his statement, and, and uh, you know, they classified it as a, uh, some kind of phenomenon. So it, it's, uh, again, apparently this was never really uh, investigated by the Navy. Focusing in on the technology, I don't know of a beam of light that you can manipulate uh, the way that they manipulated that light there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It just lit, lit up the ship and, and nothing else. It, Seemed to me that it, it must have come from the skies, uh, somewhere in the sky. It, it's, um, it's a real puzzler, that's for sure. Certainly very interesting. You wonder if the uh, extraterrestrials are involved in the drug trade, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, yeah, what's their drug of choice? Anybody know? No, I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> the, the green stuff. And the marijuana. Uh, yeah, the, the, the wacky tobacco. I don't know. Um, all right, uh, Ken, we've got time uh, here in this segment for case file number four of the evening, and this involves a uh, an encounter of missing time and a UFO close encounter in Cashin, Arizona. This happened on August 15th in 2004. I'll let you share the uh, witness account with us. Uh, yeah, the missing time in your close encounter in Arizona. This was August 15th, that 2004, in Cashin, Arizona. Uh, after midnight in Cashin, Arizona, not only was a similar craft sighted, but it would prove to be another encounter that features substantial missing time. The, the witness, along with their four children, had taken a short journey from their home to a public park in their neighborhood. Despite the late hour, they arrived there at around 11 p.m., as it was such a short distance, they remained there for some time, enjoying the peacefulness of the late hour. However, as the witness was sitting for a moment, they noticed a big light heading towards them. Within minutes, the object, which was distinct, distinctly triangular with white lights at each of its corner, was directly overhead. The witness and their children all stood mesmerized for several moments, looking up at the triangle object. Triangular object. Then the thing took a rather disturbing turn. After standing and staring at the strange object, the witness and their children suddenly found suddenly found themselves screaming and running into the house. It was a little after one twenty AM. Almost ninety minutes had passed and yet no 
And yet none of those present could remember anything that had happened. They couldn't even recall making a short journey from the park back to their house. What is so interesting, after gathering themselves at home for a moment, only the main witness, the parent, and their 15-year-old son could recall anything of the event. Even when they arrived home, the other three children appeared confused as to why they were running. Uh, this is perhaps an interesting detail. There are many accounts on record where only one or two people witness and recall a UFO event only for others who were also present to remember absolutely nothing, almost as if, uh, as the witness in this case states, they were targeted for deciding while the others were in, uh, intentionally tuned out. So this was a strange uh, uh, missing time uh, deal here in Arizona and, and uh there's many, many, many like this, that's for sure. Well, interesting because uh, what you said there, there at the end, uh, you know, makes me wonder if in mass UFO sightings where you have, say, several people together, some may see certain aspects that uh, others don't uh, because of what you just described. Yeah, I guess. Uh, it was to, well, it was to what the parent and the 15 year old. So apparently, them two people were a little bit older than uh, I'm assuming the. The three children, so maybe uh, you know the the older the older parent and the older son was was more capable mentally of of recalling what happened. I guess that's the only thing I can think of. Well, and we hear of download experiences, which are very familiar in like alien abductions uh, and the like, and so it's very possible that we could also wipe someone's memory clean after the fact, so they don't remember it and enhance the memories in others. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that 100%. We had this family here who was at the park, and then next thing they know, they're back at home. And I just wonder how the extraterrestrials are able to navigate Google Maps. Yeah, I, I had no idea. They, uh, they're pretty smart people, that's for sure. Pretty smart aliens, extraterrestrial beings. <laughs> yeah, pretty smart aliens. Yeah. We have a couple of other cases that uh, I wanted to uh, have you share with the audience uh, here tonight. And this was a close encounter. This also involved a family. This one was not in Arizona. This was in Havana, Florida, and happened in 1991. But again, another family. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was Havana, Florida, yeah, December 1991. And uh, it says here, uh, Jared Lee, he was a graduate student at the University of Florida and an aerospace engineer at the time the video was made, rele releasing a riveting UFO encounter he had with his family in December 1991. Uh, Lee was 13 years old at the time of the event. On the night of the encounter, he was with his parents, both uh, who both worked for the state of Florida. They lived in a sparsely populated town of Havana. The family has gone to Tallahassee, picked up a pizza, and arrived back home about uh, 10 p.m. Exiting their vehicle to go inside, Jared noticed something unusual. There were lights coming down from the top of a nearby tree, and he called his parents' attention to the lights. Uh, the family thought at first that they were seeing where hunters in the forest uh, were possibly shining their lights to locate a deer. Uh, the lights uh, appeared to be scanning the forest floor. The trees were approximately 60 feet tall, and the, and the family pondered how did they get the lights to the top of the trees. Uh, Jared's father was visibly shaken, and that uh, was the first time that the boy had ever seen his father afraid. Suddenly, the car horn began to sound, and to the left side of the area, 
the family watching, a large glowing orange ball of light began to move. Then to the right side, a large blue-green ball of light followed suit. Both of the lights were moving up to where the original lights were. Then the two balls of lights disappeared. For a brief moment, there was nothing but darkness and a large beam of, of intense, glistening white gold light beamed down to the forest floor, illuminating the entire forest area. At the top of the light, a large UFO appeared clearly visible. Uh, Jared described its size as unbelievable, and the craft sat hovering for some 10 to 15 minutes. Never made a sound. Then the object simply vanished and was not seen again. This, this was... Uh, what this was and what this mission was is uh, undetermined. So this was a, a a pretty pretty good, pretty detailed sighting there in, in Havana, Florida, that's for sure. Ken, we will pause here. We will come back with more UFO case files with Ken Pfeiffer. He is a MUFON investigator. He is the uh, state director of the Mutual UFO Network in Vermont and Rhode Island. He's the chief investigator of the New Jersey chapter, and he's international director of more than a half dozen countries. He has investigated over 1,100 UFO cases and has more than 2,800 case files on his website, WorldUFOPhotosAndNews.org, which we do have linked up on uh, Paranormal Radio. Radio.com tonight, and there's also WorldUFOPhotos.org, which has about 12,000 of some of the best UFO photos in the world. We'll continue right after this. Brad Bernards has Parabnormal News right after uh, the break. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Don't venture too far. You might not make it back into the pair of normal. To stay up to date. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, that dang old internet, man, you just go on there and point and click, 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 click. Join our group for live chats, news, and discussion on everything somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. Send us a direct message through the contact section at paranormalradio.com or by text at 818-672-6865. Stay connected into the paranormal. Pair Abnormal News, I'm Brad Bernards. There is increasing confidence that the COVID-19 outbreak likely originated in a Wuhan laboratory, though not as a bioweapon, but as part of China's attempt to demonstrate that its efforts to identify and combat viruses are equal to or greater than the capabilities of the United States. Multiple sources who have been briefed on the details of early actions by China's government tell Fox News. This may be the costliest government cover-up of all time, one of the sources said. The Chinese dispute this finding. China's position on the origin and means of transmission of the novel coronavirus is clear. We always believed this is a scientific issue which should be studied by scientists and medical experts. I would like to remind you, 
The head of WHO has repeatedly said there's no evidence that the coronavirus was made in a lab. China's foreign minister spokesman Zhao Lijian. What all the sources agree about is the extensive cover-up of data and information about COVID-19 orchestrated by the Chinese government. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues to spread across the world and bringing economies to their knees, doctors, scientists, and governments are on the lookouts for safe and effective treatments to help those who are sick. And yet, a large issue with COVID-19 is that there is, as yet, no cure. What we're searching for are medications that will help people get over the infection more rapidly and allow their immune systems to really kick in and knock the virus out. What we have seen is lots of patients recovering. Whether that's because they're getting a study drug or a placebo, we don't know. Though there are treatments that can alleviate the symptoms, they do not address the underlying cause, the virus. Connect with the news at paraabnormalradio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, Paraabnormal News. Location nearly as top secret as Area 51. Yeah, and if you believe that, you'll really like this show. Into the Paranormal. UFO Case Files, our program tonight. Ken Pfeiffer from UFO World UFO Photos and News.org. He's a MUFON investigator. And uh, we've got two more cases for you here tonight. One of those is another close encounter of. What's described as a nacho chip-like object? This is a uh, this is a new one for me, Ken. A nacho chip looks yeah. like a triangle, so they are talking about <laughs> a triangle. But I just have never quite heard it described that way. Yeah, same here. This is a very interesting case here. Uh, July fifteenth, two thousand four, in, in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, on the fifteenth of July uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, yet another sighting of a triangular aircraft with glowing white lights at each corner would occur, although it would not come to light until three years later. So this wasn't reported until uh, until three years later about this. The witness was a passenger in a car that was returning her and a friend who was driving home from a nearby Waffle House on the night in question. It was shortly after they turned onto a long stretch of road when the witness friends noticed and pointed out three white lights in the shape of a triangle hovering or moving slowly above the treetops that accompanied uh, that accompanied the roadside. The witness would recall that the lights were bright but not glowing and appeared as though they were at the endpoints of a solid triangular-shaped object. The witness would further describe the object as having the shape of a shape of a nacho chip with a light at each of its points. Uh, what's more, and like many other witnesses to similar crafts, she found it bizarre that such a large object was seemingly moving so slow. After they observed the strange object for several moments, they, they both realized that it was completely silent. Uh, most bizarre, though, was a beam-like searchlight that that came from the middle uh, underside of the object. It would move quickly and erratically, but smoothly over the, the woodland below as it searched for something among the trees. They would watch the event 
unfold for several minutes. However, when they went to turn their, their vehicle around, the object had disappeared by the time they had done so. The witness would question whether it was a discrete target practice for an experimental military aircraft as opposed to something extraterrestrial, although she didn't dismiss the, uh, dismiss the possibilities. This is a very uh, typical uh, triangle sighting of, of, of friends where, you know, it's, they're in their car and, and they see something strange in the sky. And, and uh, I'm glad uh, the problem is a lot of people see three lights in, in the sky and they automatically assume that it's a it's the triangle, but that's that's not the case many times, um, you know. Uh, but but I feel in, in this case here, they actually did see the body of the of the craft, so it's a it's a good sighting. Yeah, because it could be a circular object with just some of its lights off, giving it the triangle shape. Exactly, that's right. And of course, we're seeing a lot more drones uh, these days. In fact, my wife even pointed out uh, what we thought was a drone, but I guess you never really know these days. Uh, there's lots of weird stuff going on in the air, some strange activity tracked here over the Portland area, which I might have a chance to go into a little bit more detail uh, tonight. But, Ken, I want to give you the opportunity to share with us this 1950 encounter known as the Kimball Radford incident, which took place near Hawaii. Uh, yeah, this is this is really incredible. Now, this is the Secretary of the Navy, his uh, this close encounter. Uh, essentially, this is March 1952. Uh, they were heading, they were near Hawaii. They were heading to Hawaii, very close to Hawaii. And the incident involved uh, another Navy Secretary, Dan Kimball, who was flying to Pearl Harbor in Hawaii when two dish-shaped craft came out of nowhere and approached the Navy executive air, airplane. He would describe their speed as simply amazing and would estimate them move at a pace uh, between 1,500 and 2,000 miles per hour, as well as the plane Kimball was in. Another Navy plane was on the same route be, uh, just behind them, uh, an approximate distance of around 50 miles. This one carried Admiral Arthur Radford, and they too saw the uh, bizarre event unfold in their entirety. The object began to move in a circular motion around both planes. Kimmel would later state that they covered 50 miles in less than two minutes. <coughs> the shining silver disc would circle both planes twice in, in total before disappearing into the early evening sky as quickly as they had arrived. Uh, upon the landing of Pearl Harbor, Kimmel would make a report to the Air Force as they were officially in charge of investigating such sightings. Ha uh-huh. ha. Uh, however, despite several attempts by Kimball to follow up his report, the U.S. Air Force flatly refused to cooperate. When he went to check the, the Navy records, he would find all were now under, under the control of the Air Force as part of their investigation. What, whatever happened that afternoon, it is likely that the intelligence behind these discs are one and the same with those McFarland witnessed several weeks later. So, uh, yeah, again, these things were buried, and, uh, you know, this is, and this is the Secretary of the Navy, so it's incredible. We've even had some presidents out there, as you know, that I've seen uh, these alien craft in the sky, and, and it's, it's still, no one wants to believe it. Yeah, you're right, Ken, and there certainly is a lot of um, denial <laughs> still happening uh, within the community and outside the UFO community. Ken, on your website, you talk about we need a new classification. We need to take the next step in ufology. You believe that we should be classifying some of these craft as identified alien craft, not UFOs, unidentified flying objects. 
not UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomenon, not USOs, unidentified submerged objects, but identified alien craft. Yeah, I, yeah, IACs. I've, I've been saying that from day one. Uh, we have enough evidence out there that that uh, we we could and should be able to classify some of these cases as uh, you know identified alien craft. But you also say at the same in the same article that if an object cannot be properly identified, then the case has to be classified as unknown. So how do we leap to identified alien craft if we can't properly identify it? Well. I, you know, there are there are there are some cases out there that that actually could be identified as, uh, you know, the alien, real alien craft, but they they just uh, like like Mufon. The only thing we can do with Mufon is is even though we know this was an alien craft, and and you know, it's the witnesses were 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 the best and had all the details. We 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 can only classify these things as unknown. Uh, knowing that they're alien craft, so you know, I, I don't think it's it's going to happen. At least with Mufon, where they're going to uh, take that leap and and at least try to uh, research and investigate a little bit further into some of these cases where they they can classify it as uh, identified alien craft. But you would agree that it is not healthy that that we make a guess when it comes to these. Yeah, well, well, this case here with the, with the Secretary of the Navy. I mean, this was this was 1952, and there was there was nothing at that time flying that that quick in the sky, and and you know it's it's you just have to to make that leap. You just have to to have the guts to to come forward and say, oh my God, this this wasn't from this wasn't from this earth, and if it wasn't from this earth, then it's got to be a, it's got has to be some kind of an alien craft. Ken, I want to thank you for coming on the program once again. You're the best. Hey, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on uh, Into the Paranormal, Jeremy. I appreciate it. And uh, once I find out about them uh, alien uh, um, uh, investigations we're doing right now, alien abductions, I'll let you know. Please do, Ken. It would be an honor to talk with you again. Okay, my friend. You, You stay safe. All right. You as well. Wash your hands and put your face masks on. I sure will. All right. Okay. All right, that's Ken Pfeiffer, a MUFON investigator. Again, worldufophotosandnews.org and worldufophotos.org are his websites. And uh, we've got them linked up on my website, and we'll put all the reports, uh, links to them as well. So if you missed any of them, you want to go back and uh, look over some of those details with a fine-tooth comb, you can. Ken certainly has uh, links to all of those just absolutely amazing uh, when you hear some of these stories of people who uh, report these encounters – and pilots who say this is just unlike anything that I've ever experienced before. And you have people who are mesmerized and report missing time, and the list goes on and on. I have one problem with what Ken said tonight on the program. And Ken and I are friends, and I can say this and not piss him off, because we've done probably 10 or 12 shows before. I'm not ready to make that leap. And I think that there's some contradicting points in proper investigation that he puts on his website at worldufophotos.org. In one paragraph, he's saying that, I feel we should take the next step. We should be classifying some of these as identified alien craft. But then in the uh, prior paragraph, he says that if an object cannot be properly identified, then it has to be classified as unknown. So how do we 
get from unknown to identified alien craft because that is a big leap. Unknown means we have no clue what it is. That's not saying it's extraterrestrial. That's not saying it's of this world. That's not saying anything. We just cannot identify it. It is unknown, and it goes into a category all of its own. To say that it is an uh, alien craft, now I know that there are alien craft out there. Certainly people are picked up in alien craft and taken away and abducted, and that happens, I believe. There's a lot of people who don't believe that anybody's ever been abducted, that it's just a dream. But I don't understand how quickly we make the leap from unknown to identified alien craft, but yet we still want to be objective about the whole situation. I just think that there's some disconnect there. So I think we have to be very careful. You know, and as Ken said, we probably only hear about 1% of the encounters that pilots report. I mean, he may be right. He probably has a better sense of that than I do because, like I said, he actually does investigate these case files and he takes these reports. And he's probably talked to enough people at some of these other uh, symposiums and MUFON events and unmufon events and just out in everyday life from people who have told him, and he said, well, did you make a report? You know, and he hands him his business card or whatever and move on, you know, to make a report. And they say, well, I just don't want to talk about it. And there is certainly a lot of that that goes on. And so he may be right in the whole 1% of these are actually reported. But I find it hard to believe that 99% of the UFOs are alien craft. I don't believe the weather balloon thing. I think drones are a big part of the UFOs that we're seeing these days. Because they're all over the place and you can put lights on them and make them look like a triangle UFO or a circular object or whatever it is that you want to make it look like. But I don't think that 99% of these are alien craft. That's a little generous. It's a little optimistic, uh, if you ask me. So just some observations uh, based on what we heard from Ken Pfeiffer. But I love the man. I respect the man. And he'll be back on the program. Now, there was weird stuff going on in the sky last night. And if you saw this, you can give me a call at 855-790-8255, toll free in North America, 855-790-8255, or ITP51 on Skype. Outside North America, it's 503-506-0396. Thursday night, we saw the lights uh, over Idaho. Last night, as I was hanging out with my buddy Clyde Lewis on Ground Zero, he started getting reports of activity around the Portland area and up in southwest Washington and maybe even northern Washington. Well, I'll give you a website here. Go to findstarlink.com. And if you go to findstarlink.com, put in Portland, Oregon as your starting point, and you will see that 926 last night, these satellites were in alignment over the Portland, Oregon area. Uh, they were seen uh, for a for a couple of minutes and then went away and then came back in the early morning hours uh, of Saturday morning. You're actually going to see them again on Sunday night. So if you're out tomorrow night after 9 o'clock, you're probably going to see them again. Kind of, It's almost going to be a repeat of what happened on Friday night. See, this is, it, this is forecasted. This, this was not a UFO. Uh, these were actually satellites from SpaceX Starlink that were in the sky. And again, there will be another sighting early Monday morning as well. So that is in areas with good visibility. If you don't have very good visibility, you might not get a a very good view. But poor visibility 
you actually have a better chance of seeing it, just not seeing it as well. Does that make sense? So if you're in poorly lit areas, you may see them more often because they're going to be passing overhead and you're going to be seeing them than you would in areas where there is good visibility. This is all at findstarlink.com. I'm not pulling this out of my you-know-what. This is all information at findstarlink.com. Again, put in Portland, Oregon, or check out the live map and uh, actually see where Starlink is right now because it's not just Portland. Uh, There's actually, I believe, six of these or five of these that are actually being tracked right now. If you go to the live map at findstarlink.com, you can see where all of these are. And so they are certainly going to be visible over the next couple of nights. There was a story at uh, KTVB uh, in Boise. Uh, It says, strings of lights moving across the night sky in the Treasure Valley sparked wonder and speculation recently about what they could be. But they're just satellites, of course, from the SpaceX Starlink network. But about 10 o'clock this past Thursday night, people started seeing it around Boise, Idaho. And then again around 5 o'clock in the morning on Friday. And in fact, here in about 30 minutes, I understand, in Idaho, they're going to be brightly visible again. Again, I just tracked what was happening there in uh, Portland, but it's happening in other places as well. So you can actually put your location in when you go to findstarlink.com and find out if it's happening anywhere near you. So that's what's been going on. In case you're wondering, uh, these satellites that they are putting into orbit uh, are going to be providing Internet service. Certainly stuff we've talked about uh, in previous shows, something that we knew was happening. Uh, It's been in paranormal news, and so now we're seeing those satellites being put into orbit to provide internet service so if you were in boise idaho that's likely what you were seeing if you were in i mean there were reports all around the portland metro area up in southwest washington and even further north than that as i mentioned so findstarlink.com that's the website that is what is happening these are not ufos these are not alien craft it's the starlink satellites and that's what's going on so anybody who tells you that there's this weird crazy stuff going on and it's ufos in the sky you tell them no it's ifos and they say what are you talking about you said it's an identified flying object and they okay okay mr smarty pants what is it and you say well it's the starlink satellite go to findstarlink.com and look i mean it's forecasted there it is now there's been quite a a bit of ufo activity still happening while everybody's been focusing on covid19 one of those was up in washington we had that on the news uh, last week, I believe, or the week before with Brad Bernards, uh, as there was uh, three orbs that were caught kind of moving around, changing positions, changing colors, and then they crossed in the sky and became joined by a fourth. Uh, they started out as white and then kind of changed to red before going uh, to white again. Uh, and that was over a three-minute phone video that you can uh, click from at paranormalradio.com. There was also... Three days, that was three days after, by the way, a a similar sighting over El Paso, Texas, which of course is home to Fort Bliss U.S. Army base. And those orbs, they say, were most likely flares. But what's the situation up in Seattle and sister city Tacoma? They're also home to a number of U.S. military bases, Fort Lewis and others. So all these orbs could be military planes or helicopters. The fact that they were moving so slowly, as the witnesses said, suggests that they probably could be drones or maybe even flares. 
There was also that situation over Nueva Leon, which also is another orb activity. It's not behaving like a tic-tac. It doesn't have the wobble effect, the weeble wobble, or the ping pong. Um, It's just kind of popping all over the screen, and it just goes away and comes back. And I mean, that was dated March 28th. It just does not seem very authentic to me. And the fact that the pilot has not identified themselves and we uh, are not cannot look into their actual background and see if they are a licensed pilot or what their background is, well, adds a little bit more speculation uh, in my mind. Uh, another video was taken March 25th over St. Petersburg in western Russia and uh, apparently was dropping orbs, witnesses uh, say, it, which made it look like either a drone or a plane dropping flares. Those three objects, though, eventually fell to the ground, and then when the witness zoomed in on the single orb, it appeared to be three lights, similar to like a triangle or a nacho chip craft, although, again, it was moving pretty slow. Could that have been a drone? Could it have been an alien craft? Uh, I mean, who really knows? But there has been some activity going on in the past couple of months as the world has literally shut down. I think things are looking up for me, friends. I have no clue what the future does hold. And so those of you who have donated to the show, um, I really appreciate it because I can use it to keep the lights on and to keep food in the fridge. We are paid up for this show, uh, so the show's going to continue. It's not like the show's in jeopardy of going away because you know we're paid up on the show for the year, so the show's going to go on. And it's not like the show's going to end, but I personally could just use some assistance. And so if you... You could spare anything, parabnormalradio.com. There is a uh, PayPal button there, and I don't ask often, and I probably am not going to ask many more weeks here on the program because you have been awesome, and I really appreciate your support. Uh, When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, I said we're going to continue the UFO theme, and we are. One of the most notorious UFO cases of all time is on the microscope. When we come back after this, it's Rendlesham Forest, 1980, Suffolk, England. We'll dive into that after this. I'm Jeremy Scott. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Think you've heard it all? Just wait until Into the Parabnormal continues. Download the BetMGM Sports app and place a $10 Moneyline wager on any NBA playoff game to win $200 in free bets if either team hits a three-pointer. Use code CHAMPION200. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. Thank you for supporting our advertisers. It keeps the show free for everyone. This statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. No offense, but are you a little fat when you look in the mirror? How do you like to learn the secret to losing three to five pounds a week without joining the gym or going through any crazy diets? It's called Body Sculpt RX. For the last two decades, we've helped countless people lose thousands of pounds. And now... It's your turn. Learn how to lose weight with one simple phone call and no prescription needed. You'll see an amazing difference in a matter of days. Don't believe us? We'll offer you a risk-free money-back guarantee. So if you're ready to start losing weight, call right now and get a free month supply with your first order of Body Sculpt RX. Call now. You have nothing to lose but the pounds. 
That's 800-395-4207. You've heard me talking about My Patriot Supply for a while, and things aren't getting any easier. From global conflicts and unstable supply chains, when shelves run on empty, you don't have to panic. Choose peace of mind with their three-month emergency food supply to keep your shelves and your stomach full. In an emergency, you won't have the time, resources, and ingredients to prepare your meals in the way you're used to. But you can get a leg up with My Patriot Supply. It's a three-month emergency food supply. You don't have to skimp. It's ready when you are. It's disaster-proof. And no food boredom here. 20-plus flavorful food and drink varieties. My Patriot Supply is offering a special deal for Into the Parabnormal listeners when you go to parabnormalradio.com slash food. Get your My Patriot Supply today from parabnormalradio.com slash food. That's parabnormalradio.com slash food. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 